we're concluding the series tonight, Love Does. And let's go to actually the full section of 1 Corinthians 13 that we haven't, we've only read part of it, so I'm going to read the full section. It says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not conceited. Verse 5, love does not act improperly. Dang it. It is not selfish. It is not provoked. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Every, with every reading of this, like, oh, oh. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love never fails. Love never comes to an end. I found this story on Facebook, and I'm going to read it to you. you guys, if you'll put up the picture of this little girl, and her mother writes this on Facebook. When your daughter gets off the bus, embarrassed and in tears, as a mother, it is considered normal for me to want to protect her and come to her defense. Although I am a woman who is led by the Holy Spirit and peace and love and grace is what invades my heart. Lexi, who is 14 years old, explained to me how the bus driver stopped the bus in the middle of her route and yelled at her for 10 minutes in front of the kids because she was sitting on her knees and braiding her friend's hair. Apparently, sitting on your knees is what infuriated the bus driver. The angry woman kept tearing Lexi down with words and her delivery was completely uncalled for. After Lexi calmed down and was talking it through, I asked my daughter a question. Lexi, what do you uh, want to do something radical? Sure, Lexi replied. The mom says, how about you respond to your bus driver in love because she clearly isn't lacking it. And all she knows is anger and frustration. How about tomorrow morning you present her with freshly baked cookies and a hug? You and I both know that she doesn't deserve it. If anything, she owes you an apology. But after all, isn't that what grace is all about. My precious daughter quickly replied, can we bake the cookies now? That next morning when Lexi handed her bus driver those cookies, the woman sat there in disbelief because she knew in her heart of hearts that she had overreacted in pure anger and foolishness. Yet Lexi humbly came to her in love. Trust me when I say those cookies spoke a million words in Lexi's defense. The bus driver asked Lexi, can I hug you too? And just like that, peace entered in. And then the mother references this scripture in Proverbs that says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of conviction on his head and the Lord will reward you. As I started this series a couple of weeks ago, I said, my response isn't always love, my response a lot of times to what people do is, is I want justice. I want them to hurt as bad as I've hurt. I want them to fear as bad as I've feared. I want them to feel discouraged as much as they made me feel. I want revenge. I want justice. I want a turning of the table. I want them to go through what they put me through. And the word is very clear that we are not to operate in anger or in, uh, what do you call it, in revenge, but we're to operate in love. Matthew 5.30 says, 
38 says, Jesus says, you have heard this said to you, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Sounds good to me, but he goes on to say, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if someone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And I am like reading that scripture for the 43, almost 44 years that I've been on this planet that I've heard that I said, no, and as well as that I always thought that that scripture was that if somebody slaps you, then you just let, you turn and let them keep on slapping and then you just take, you know, take the pain and the humiliation that comes from somebody just beating the crap out of you. And that's not what this scripture is saying. It is not saying just let them continue to slap. It is saying something much deeper than what meets the eye. Our reaction to life is rooted in our experiences. And I think that without jumping ahead, I think the fact that when we are slapped by somebody, that that becomes an experience. And I think this scripture is saying that when someone slaps, you turn to them the other cheek in reference to saying that you will not have a hold on my heart by this experience. We respond to by what's been done to us before. If you've ever wondered, why am I uptight? Why am I frustrated? Why am I angry? Why am I moody? Why am I touchy? Why am I overly sensitive? Why am I opinionated? Why am I defensive? And the list can go on and on. Why am I why? And I think the why to our why is that it always comes from something that we've experienced in our past, and it brings a current day defense to what life brings us. In the back of our mind, we hold on to the emotions that came with the experience. Life would be really easy if we never had an emotion tied to something bad. When we went through something tough or difficult or painful or unpleasant, it would be so much easier just to get over it if there wasn't an emotion tied to it. Every stronghold is directly tied to an experience that has taken up residence in our heart. So when Jesus is saying, turn the other cheek, he is not saying, let someone beat the tar out of you. He is saying, don't give it the right to influence your future. Love takes us to a place where we refuse to let the issues take root in our hearts. That that young lady could have easily with that bus driver, let that be a seed and a root of bitterness in her heart that she was unjustly scolded and humiliated and made, uh, made a spectacle of in front of all her friends. And that could have been a root of a bitterness, but in reacting to love, I'm jumping ahead of myself, in reacting to love, it uprooted that root that was trying to come into her life. Love breaks the ties that try to attach themselves to our emotions, thoughts, and actions. As I said before, life would be really, really easy if we never had bad emotions, bad thoughts, or bad actions, if everything was just always really, really easy. But unfortunately, life is not like that. Love frees our heart to go forward. As I said in the first message, the enemy's 
the enemy's plot or his plan is really not to get you to serve him. His plot and his plan really isn't to get you to fall away and live worldly and against God. That's not his plan. His plot is to paralyze your emotions where you stand, where you're totally ineffective when it comes to love. Love announces freedom to our hearts, our thoughts, and our emotions. That there is a residency of love on the inside of us that's wanting and willing to announce freedom to every single part and aspect of our life. Love will only respond when we determine to let go. There's the tough part. Because it's not easy to let go. It's not easy just to say, I'm going to let that go. It's not that easy. But when the response is love, love becomes the power of the let go. Justice and retaliation only keep me in a holding pattern where there is no freedom. And I think one of the things, can I say this? I think some of the things that I've experienced lately when it's come to people that have grown up and at one time, they were connected to what we did here, and now they've grown up and they've gone different directions. And I can say without a shadow of doubt that the reason that they've gone those directions, whatever the bent was, they went those directions because there was a root of bitterness and a seed of unforgiveness in their lives that ended up conceiving itself and becoming something that deterred them and took them away from what God had. And bless their hearts. Can I say this? I told this to Taylor yesterday. I said, there's just no peace in it. I don't care what you want to post or what you want to avow or what you want to promote or what you want to say you've discovered or say you, that you've realized. I don't, it doesn't matter because I, I go back to the, to the analogy when your head hits the pillow at night, where is your peace? And that's not anything that you want to post on Twitter. That's not anything you want to Snapchat about, that there's torment in the heart of a person that does not operate in the love of God and let go of seeds and roots of bitterness and rejection that try to take root in our life. God's desire is not only for us to live in love, but his desire is for us to live in the freedom that comes through his peace. Matthew 5.40 says, as for the one who wants to sue you, take away your shirt. Let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That when you go beyond what you want to do and how you feel, that it is a true reflection. And it's easy to say, do what Jesus did. What would Jesus do? I don't always want to do what Jesus did. Am I the only one? Everybody's looking at me like, it's like, bless your heart. We always want to do what Jesus did. We're going to pray for you, bald youth pastor. I don't always want to do what Jesus did. I don't always want to be the person that's just forgiving and graceful and all the things. But I do want this. 
I want to be his. I want to belong to the father. I want to be his child. And that is enough power and enough presence for me to operate in love when he is my focus and not me trying to be something that's fake and phony. When I operate in love as he loves and say, God, I'm doing this because you are my father, not because I feel like it, not because it makes, brings me any joy, it actually irritates me, but I want to operate in love and in operating in love, I most resemble you. What was Jesus demonstrating? Jesus was demonstrating when you talk about going a mile, go to, when they ask for your shirt, give them your jacket as well, that none of this matters. None of this world matters. Your heart can be free no matter what people do to you. I like this illustration. I brought two things today. Let me bring down my table here. It's kind of an interesting illustration. I am by no means a gardener or a botanist or any of that. But let me show you a couple of things here. Oh, so I was lost at Lowe's today because everybody seemed to know what kind of plants they were wanting and I was walking around and I don't know what I'm looking at. But this is a cactus and this is a, a juniper, which is kind of an evergreen. So think of something like a Christmas tree or something. So a cactus, obviously, is very obvious what it is. But an evergreen is um, evergreen. <laughs> this is going to be like this all year round. And this, unfortunately, is going to be like it all year round. Let me tell you about the cactus. The cactus is um, something that means a spiny plant that you can see that it has many sharp edges on it. That a cactus, a cactus lives, you now they're not indigenous to this part necessarily, but if you go to Arizona or desert or Nevada or desert places that you tend to find lots of of cacti, and so they're, they're, they're prone to live in harsh environments that a, a cactus, you'll find them where it's 120 in the summer. Uh, whoa, and they were just fine. Uh, they're always in conservation mode because they live in places where there's not a lot of water that they will conserve the water, and you'll know that, know that if you've ever had cactus jelly, which is what Susan makes so well, that they're very uh, spongy and porous in their nature, so they hold in that water. They live in places where there is often drought, that they're, they're okay where there's uh, not a whole abundant supply of water. And it's known that cacti, when, when it does rain, that they will, they will pull in what little water comes their way. They've even shown that they're, they're uh, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but their root system will actually, when it, when it rains, it'll go out a little bit, pick up the water, and then that root system will come right back in once it's collected the water that's there. Uh, it has obviously a defense on every side that you're not going to get to it in any way. And its roots are shallow and spread out quickly uh, at the presence of water. Um, before I go on to the evergreen, there are certainly times in my life that I've operated as a cactus. That the experiences of life can make it where we operate more like 
the cactus does than anything else. And I don't want to rehash that whole list, but what little water is around, what little bit of nourishment or uh, thirst quenching around, we suck it up and we hoard it to ourselves and we make it about us. And, and it's beautiful and noble in, in sight, but if you get close to it, you're not going to want to touch it. That it's created a defense system that nothing really can get to me and touch me. And uh, I'm making sure that, that I take care of myself. And it lives in harsh environments. And, and the harsh environments have created it to be what it is. That it's actually called a succulent, meaning that it pulls in everything. And how many times have we been that in life where we are just pulling in all the things that we need and it's created this uh, uh, hoarding mentality that has this defense system around it that doesn't want anybody to come close to us. And it's more focused on the environment that it is in. It really is a survivor. And I think the enemy, more than anything, wants us to live in survival mode. He wants us to be products of our environment and our experiences more than being children of God. That he wants us to be always responsive to what's going on around us instead of being tender to the voice of God. Now, the juniper is a whole different story. The juniper, which is a conifer, so I wanted, to, I wanted to get, they had big old like Christmas tree looking things there, but this was, this was like, uh, this was $12. That, the Christmas tree one that I was, was like, it was 140 So I got this one, okay? <laughs> so a conifer comes from that it means it is seed bearing. That if you've ever seen a juniper, it'll sprout seeds and then it'll loose those seeds. And then obviously, if you were talking about like a Christmas tree type conifer, evergreen, it has the pine cones. And inside the pine cone is the seed. And that's where conifer comes from, that it's seed bearing. And the conifer will provide homes for many different living things. That, that it is welcoming and hospitable to squirrels and birds and I don't know, all the kinds of stuff. Lizards, I guess, too. The difference about the conifer from the cactus is that its roots go deep. That it's not going anywhere. Come on, somebody. That, it, that it's, it's there for the long haul. It's planted itself. And I think if there is a common denominator about people that live in a, in a state where love is a challenge to them is that their roots have not gone deep. Their roots are very, very shallow, and they're very, very shallow so they can uproot themselves quickly and easily. If you, if you parallel it to church situations, is that many times they're looking for a reason to be offended about everything. Because if they're offended easily, then they can easily move on to the next church. And usually those are the people that pick out everything wrong with your church before they leave. Its roots are deep. Its structure is durable. You know, we have never seen a wimpy Christmas tree. Heck no, techno. They're like massive. You can put all kinds of stuff on them. Lights, tinsel. Does anybody still put tinsel on their Christmas tree? Praise the Lord. I knew you were. And then the last thing, it's desired to be decorated at Christmas. It's desired to be celebrated around. Taylor, if you'll come on down. 
And I think that's a clear indication of the love walk that we live in. When we, ought, when we struggle with our love walk, this is the result. Shallow, self-consumed, defensive, ready to, what do you call it, to respond to harsh environments. Or you can be an evergreen, a conifer. And that very uh, name, evergreen, it's called an evergreen because it's evergreen. Even in the snow, even in the winter, even in the fall, it still remains green. It still pulls from water sources. It still grows. It still produces life. I read this earlier this week in my quiet time and I wanted to share it. Hebrews 1.10 says, And in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth and the heavens are the works of your hand. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like clothing, the heavens and the earth, but you will roll them up like a cloak and they will be changed like a robe. But you are the same and your years will never end. Does somebody have a hoodie or a sweater or something that I can use real quick? Anybody have one? Can I borrow that real quick? And this cute. So this book of Hebrews says right here, it says, Lord, you've created the heavens and the earth. You've created all the vastness of everything that we see. You made it. But he goes on to say, it's going to go away. It's going to perish. It's going to be gone. And this person that wrote Hebrews, they said, God, you're going to take all of existence all of the things that you've made, all that we can see, and you're going to roll it up like a cloak. And you're going to carry it off with you. And I love what he says, and I can just see the Lord just rolling up all of existence, everything made, throwing it on his shoulder, the universe and the vastness, you and me, Roll it up. I love what it says at the end there. It says, but you are the same. And your years will never end. And I wonder how much of the things that occupy my heart, God is saying, I'm going to roll that up when it's all over and done with. I wonder how much of the stuff that set me on edge and make me want to punch instead of love that God is saying, Jonathan, that's something I'm just going to roll up. I'm the one that's forever. Love your heart. Love lets your heart be free. Here is the truth. You are in control of where your heart goes. Any time in your life that you think that you are not in control of the, where the direction your heart goes, the enemy has won. You determine your heart's conditions. You determine it. You determine your heart's direction. 
There is no one on this planet, including God, that can determine the direction of your heart, that he is so good and he is so just that he has given us a will that determines the direction of our heart, that you are the one that determines the longings of your heart. That's you, you have that ability. And you determine the praise and the dedication of your heart. Whatever might be in your life right now, whatever might be the circumstances that surround you, good or bad, I don't know. They could be horrible. They could be beyond imagination what you're going through right now. I do know this truth and that this truth is that you still determine the praise of your heart. The truth is that some of our hearts are worn out because of the load of processing everything that has happened to us. It's time to give our hearts a break through love. Oh, this this series was just a workover. Everything that I read you tonight and for the last two weeks have been punches to the gut with me. It comes from this book by Bob Goffson, Love Does. Great book, great author. But I want to ask you tonight, with every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment, what is occupying your heart? That for every single one of us, it's a different thing. It's, it's something completely, but for every single one of us, it's something very real and very now. 